Hello and welcome to Beauty Island, the award-nominated beauty podcast that celebrates life and lipstick. I am your host, beauty journalist, Brittany Stewart. Each episode, I sit down with a guest and ask them about the eight beauty products that have a special memory or meaning for them. The ones they'd take to a desert island or beauty island that I am sending them off to. Maybe it's the beauty product that reminds them of their mum or their grandmother, the one that defined their teens, or the perfume that instantly sparks a memory of a special place or person. Along the way, we find out more about their life, career, and the people and events that have shaped them into who they are today. A reminder that this interview was recorded before Corona hit, so it is a virus-free zone, which hopefully you will enjoy. Today, my guest is Sarah O'Terry, former MasterChef Australia finalist and an executive creative director. If you are a fan of the show, you'll definitely remember her from the 2015 season. Young, driven, talented, determined and with brilliant curly hair, who ended up coming fifth. Obviously, Beauty Island is a beauty-focused podcast and I've had many beauty-centred guests on the show, but I love how it can also be a starting point for wider topics of conversation, as well as an interest that is obviously not limited to people who actually work in the industry. So my chat with Sarah is one of these examples. She talks about the career route that led her to apply for MasterChef and what the experience was really like, as well as some surprising behind-the-scenes info that I couldn't get enough of. She also spoke about the unsmudgeable lipstick that she wishes she knew about during filming of the show. One real standout from our conversation, which Sarah was so open about, was the answer to what happens next. What genuinely happens after you've had this life-changing experience on this door-opening show, what happens? But for all the incredible opportunities and experiences that eventually came her way, she says that the year immediately after MasterChef was one of the hardest of her life. It's, for want of a better phrase, an important reality check and I think you'll find what she says about finding your purpose and finding what you love really, really interesting and and maybe even helpful. I know it's something that I completely identified with. I also have to acknowledge the completely incidental but wonderful timing that the latest season of MasterChef Australia um, has just started this week actually, so if it's a favourite I hope you'll enjoy hearing about Sarah's experience and her story even more. As always, if you enjoy this episode, please subscribe, rate five stars and write a review on Apple Podcasts. All those sharing and reviews and ratings really helps other people find the podcast. And as an independent and literally individual podcaster, that really helps me keep being able to make the show for you, which I love doing. So thank you to everyone who has done it already. I really, really appreciate it. Now over to Sarah. Enjoy. Welcome to Beauty Island. Thank you. Now, can you remember your first memory of beauty? My earliest memory would be seeing mum put makeup on in the bathroom and when she'd leave, I'd get her eyeliners and push them all down the sink, the like drain in the bathroom floor. Everything I would push down the drain. <laughs> that is the first thing that comes to mind. That's almost a rebellion of makeup, yeah, isn't it? I just didn't know what to do with it. And obviously food is another huge passion of yours. Yes. What's your first memory of, of food? Because I think there's so much emotion connected to that. I definitely have quite memorable moments young when I was younger about food. One that comes to mind immediately is I remember going on camp for the first time when I was little. I think I was in year seven. And just remember coming home and the first thing I said to my mum was, can you please make me a plate of um, pasta aglio olio? 
and just being like, oh my God, that food was shocking. And I just wanted some home cooked food. So for me, that was one of my earliest, I guess, connections with food and realizing actually what an important part it was in my life. It wasn't just eating because you had to eat. It was, it meant a lot. And you come from an Italian Italian, background. So yeah, food is definitely something, it's almost an expression, it is an expression of love. Absolutely. Food was a very um, pivotal point in our life, like it is most European families. So tell me about the first product on your list, one that you love or one that I know growing up, you mentioned that you actually hated lipstick. Hated lipstick. I grew up in, okay, back, we run back a bit. I grew up, my mum wanted me to be I don't know, like a singer or dancer or something. And she put me in Johnny Young and I performed in like shopping centres and wore leopard print. It was all very fabulous, but I hated it. I'd have my hair curled into these tight little ringlets and my mum would always be there, like always supportive and everything, but it was this constant just, I mean, if you've ever seen those sorts of scenarios with kids, like it's fake as hell (laughs) and I don't know how many kids really enjoy it. Um, And so I think being put into it, I didn't, yeah, just all that makeup and all the lipstick, I associated so much with that, like the performing. And for me, that wasn't what it was at all. I didn't want to do it. Like I enjoyed elements of it, but um, I really hated lipstick. I felt like lipstick for me, they're all these bright colours. And back then, I mean, this was the 90s, nudes weren't a thing. It was always just like... Cold, like just bright coral orange or red and I just felt the attention on me was too much so I just hated lipstick. You grew up in Western Australia. Yes. What was your, how would you kind of describe your childhood? Very carefree and just super relaxed. I've lived in Melbourne 10 years now and I think about conversely what it's like to grow up in Melbourne versus what it was like for me growing up in WA and living on the other side of Australia you have no comparison of how the east coast live like honestly we just grow up go to the beach it was such a simple life like if anyone's ever been to Perth it's a big country town uh you have all the usual stuff growing up like you compare yourself to other girls and all of that stuff but as a whole it was a very wholesome childhood. I grew up climbing trees and skateboarding and, you know, going to the beach and stuff. So it all sounds obviously very active and you've ended up in a very creative industry, both in the food sense and in advertising. When you were growing up, did you have a very clear idea of what you wanted to do or not? Yes and no. I knew what I enjoyed doing, but I didn't know what that title was. And To be honest, I think I still live my life a little bit like that. I'm very much open to everything that comes my way. I try and say yes to things, even if I'm not sure. Like this, for example, when you were like, would you like to do this podcast? In my head, I was like, well, I've never done a podcast before. I would not consider myself a beauty expert or immersed in beauty whatsoever. But hell, let's do it and see what happens. And I've lived my life like that a lot. And it's paid off and it's worked out for me and I've had a lot of fun so growing up I was really into art communicating with people I would be the kid on the report that was like Sarah's a social butterfly (laughs) who distracts everyone else so I've known what my skills are and it's kind of just evolved I was lucky enough to fall into advertising when I did my degree at Curtin back in WA and I've found parts of it I've loved and not loved and so forth and yeah just a stepping stone that's led me to here pretty much Tell me about the second product that you that you love or I know that you also (laughs) 
talked about kind of this anti-makeup idea of an obsession with glitter when you were younger. Yes. I mean, I'm a kid of the 90s, born in 88, but grew up in the 90s. And it was the era of the Spice Girls and all of that. So for anyone else who was it's a similar age to me, you'll know all about the butterfly hair clips that wiggle around and glitter. I don't know. It came in like this little pot that was like suspended in gel and you'd rub it on your eyes and you'd rub it on your neck because apparently that's cool (laughs) and what was like impulse deodorant that had glitter in it as well I just glittered up everything I think that was my way of going whilst everyone else in my year was doing probably the makeup and their brows and stuff and I was like I don't want to do any of that the glitter was my escape I guess and did that lead to a bit of a glitter aversion now? Like, do you would you ever wear it? Oh now no, not? absolutely not. We've you got, got I've got Mardi Gras dinner planned, and there's going to be a lot of glitter. Agreed. The only aversion I have to it is it's a single use plastic that's not very good for the planet. But other than that, there will be glitter. Yeah, you can get environmentally. I've heard so that I'm actually now. on the hunt this weekend for that. So you said you moved to Melbourne about 10 years ago and I believe that was for work. Tell me about going from, as you said, that small town Perth to this, I suppose, much bigger, almost European like city. Oh my God, I loved it. So I moved from Perth to Melbourne and I, at the same time, was moving out of home. I'd never lived out of home in Perth. So for me, it was like, oh my God, it's the girl in the big city. And it was so exciting. And honestly, I still find Melbourne such an exciting city to live in. I crave going home, but when I'm home, I'm there for a few days and I'm like, all right, back to Melbourne. But yeah, loved it. The transition, I mean, it's the most livable city in in the world for a reason. I found the transition super easy. Um, Everyone was lovely, but I, to this day, am still not used to the cold. Like, not at all. (laughs) It takes some getting used to, doesn't it? Even today, it's just been an up and down day. I mean, as Melbournes, we love to talk about the weather, but we we won't. We won't. (laughs) It's boring. We're not not there yet, (laughs) don't worry. (laughs) Um, And obviously working advertising for some of the really big agencies in Melbourne, seeing MasterChef and deciding to go on there, had you been a fan of the show before? What kind of sparked that? I had seen the show probably one, maybe two seasons prior to the season I was on. And I had gotten to a point in my career where I was just kind of like, is this really it? After, you know, growing up, your parents saying you can do whatever you want, going to uni, you know, studying my ass off, coming to Melbourne, doing all of that. I was in a rut and I was doing work that was just so meaningless and mind-numbing. And I just thought, I think I was 23 or 24 at the time. And I was like, oh my God, this can't be it. And so I just had this moment of motivation and I just thought, screw it. I'm just going to throw in the towel and just see what happens. And if you know me, I'm not an impulsive person at all. I'm very calculated. I don't ever want to be like out of my ass. So for me to have just thrown in that job with no plan B, I had literally also bought a house the month before, which was probably not the best idea to do both at the same time. Um, Yeah, quit my job. I went to New York for a little bit, San Francisco, Mexico with a bunch of friends. And it's while we were in San Fran, we were making dinner and I was on my laptop and I saw an ad for MasterChef come up and I just thought, screw it, I'll apply. I had people, my friends saying to me before, you should totally apply for that show, you should totally do it. And yeah, just had a, a whim of motivation, did it and 
three weeks later I was auditioning. And so up to that point, cooking had just been obviously something you were very good at, but it had just been kind of a passion. It hadn't Absolutely. Been I had never seen it as a career whatsoever. I loved cooking, really enjoyed it, knew I was kind of good at it um, and, you know, had little fleeting thoughts of maybe I could run a cafe one day. My family come from you know, hospitality background. I My parents had restaurants um, as I grew up, I'd spend many nights, my sister and I, in the car, sleeping or doing our homework in restaurants and things like that. So it was familiar to me, but I never thought about it as a career option. For me, it was just, let's just see what happens. And before we get into more MasterChef, tell me about the next beauty product that you love or on The your list. next beauty product, a lot of, to be honest, a lot of the beauty products have come after MasterChef being on a show forces you to like know how to put your makeup on because a lot of people think you get your makeup put on for you but you don't you have so to do you're doing your own hair and makeup everything from 5 a.m when you wake up or when a camera wants to you know come into your room and stick their lens in your face um so I was like well if they're gonna do that I may as well look half decent <laughs> and so were there any products particularly when you've got a huge day of filming and yes. obviously doing makeup for TV is completely different to normal life anyway were there any products or tips that you learned along that for the staying power that you needed for your makeup? Um, we had a few breaks in between. So for me, it was more so just about making sure you brought it along just to dab it up because you didn't know if you were going to cry that day or you were going to be out in the sun for eight hours and then your blush ends up on your neck because everything just melts down. <laughs> so it was just maintenance more than anything. I love that. It's almost becomes like a makeup genre in itself, you know, like the waterproof that will get you through oh, serious criticism absolutely. from the judges. Yeah. Or I wish I knew about half the products I know now then so I wouldn't have to like do it again and again constantly throughout the day. So tell me about one of those products. The lipstick I'm wearing currently. This very much, so this is, do I, so it is the Maybelline Superstay Matte Ink. It's the one that's like a rectangular uh, lipstick with the white top because they used to have a version before but this one's way better so this stuff will literally not move and when you work in food and you're being filmed or photographed eating my lipstick would always end up on my nose on my chin everywhere I can wear it put it on in the morning and even if you work at you know just an office job you're like cool I know that at least my lips will look good from 9am till 7pm unless I get industrial like <laughs> remover it will not budge so that's been a real like life changer for me. What was the thing that surprised you most about your MasterChef experience? There were so many things that surprised me when I did the interview process you go through not only uh, like the mystery box and the food component that the audience sees but you also go through a very uh, rigorous mental I guess um, and psychological interview beforehand um, to see if you're up for it because a lot of people I mean your our season was six months filming you don't see your family in between that unless you go home for Christmas you get to speak to them for 10 minutes a week you only get two phone calls so a big part of the process was actually interviewing and making sure people could handle that and I was like yep I've worked in advertising. I know what it's like to have to be up at 5am to do shoots. I know what it's like, what cameramen, the whole set I was very familiar with. What I didn't anticipate was actually how stressful it would be. Just the lack of contact with the people you love and being able to call your mum or your dad or your partner and just download, not being able to do that was really, really difficult. So I found that really surprising. But then also... Gosh, I didn't think I'd make the friends I did. I've got girlfriends from there that I still talk to on a daily basis 
God, how many years are we? Four or five years on. Um, and they're beautiful. And that's one of the greatest blessings. Same with, gosh, you don't anticipate that people are going to recognize you still to this day. You go and buy milk and people are like, hey, don't I know you from somewhere? And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> um didn't anticipate all the wonderful experiences that would come my way. People inviting me to go halfway across the world to experience their product or their town. Good, bad, indifferent. It's all happened. And so it's all been a roller coaster and honestly such a joy. And it's not even just in Australia, you know, like scrolling through your Instagram, you see comments from people who are like, I'm in Finland and I've just found your season or whatever. Yes, like it keeps it's on going. crazy. You forget you think that it airs and then it airs in Australia and then maybe the year later the rest of the world will get it. There are countries contacting me now four and five years on that are like, oh, my God, I've just seen you. And I'm like, really? That's just airing there? Like, it's cool, but, yeah, crazy. I think MasterChef has always been kind of in its own category when we talk about reality TV in itself because it doesn't have quite the drama of all the other other ones which yes, I think which I would never apply for ever <laughs> which is why so many people love MasterChef but reflecting on that being having taken part in a reality tv show are you glad that I know you just said that you wouldn't go on any other one but are you glad <laughs> that you did it when you did given how much the space has changed even in those four or five years since you've been on I think so I think everything happens at exactly the right time not a moment later not a moment earlier you know the one thing I am glad that our season had which the previous seasons didn't have was social media. We were the first season to be able to have, you know, Facebook accounts and Instagram and I think that's a cool thing. Definitely. Consider particularly considering when you, you, you look at where past contestants and winners and finalists have gone on to to have that platform that you can then go absolutely. on to after. Yeah, absolutely. Was there any foods that were ruined for you by MasterChef? Either that you <laughs> you know that you had to cook that the challenge didn't go so well or just foods that are completely associated I've never with thought about that you that. can't eat probably oh, the dish that I got eliminated on to be perfectly frank I would not consider food um <laughs> so I don't have to interact with that dish ever in my life again so that's fine that hasn't been ruined for me and I think they've all been okay to be honest I can't nothing comes to mind that I is overly triggering that would have me sitting at the bottom of the shower shaking. So I can still go into the supermarket and go through every aisle. That's a positive. That's yeah. what we like to hear. Yeah. Tell me about the fourth product on your list. The fourth product I'm going to say, I'll keep it in the, the MasterChef realm and talk about eyeliner. To be perfectly honest, I think the eyeliner I was using at the time was a Napoleon, like Pertus pot. And I don't know what the brush was. But that was great. I don't know where I got the energy to do that because I sure as hell don't put eyeliner on anymore. But yeah, getting up, like I said before, 5am every morning to film, having the energy to put eyeliner on, amazing. <laughs> I'm not that person anymore, but amazing at the time. <laughs> because obviously I was working at a beauty as a beauty writer at Mamma Mia at the time. All the things that came off watching you on MasterChef, you were driven, you were determined, you were passionate, you were obviously very talented. But the beauty side of me, obviously... So you're, you're perfectly... And do you know what liner. is the weirdest thing? I've had so many comments at the time and a little bit after. One of the most frequent questions I would be asked is where or how do you put on your eyeliner? Yeah, how do you do it? What product is it? And everyone just went nuts over the eyeliner. And for me, it was such a non-thing. So that I definitely found surprising that I got such a reaction. And maybe it was happening at the time where winged eyeliner had just hit, <laughs> I think, maybe. You were just bang on in the trend. And you said that you don't you don't like to do it now. Is it because it's just very labor intensive? Yeah. I'm so at this point in my life, I might be the river, not the rock. 
find the path of least resistance. And for me, I, I've been blessed with nice and good eyelashes. So I'm just like, eyelashes can do all the heavy lifting. I don't have time for eyeliner. In terms of like the technicalities of MasterChef, I imagine that people ask you these questions all the time. But in terms of like, what is something that as a viewer having not been behind the scenes, we might be surprised by like when the judges are actually eating the food. Is it's it cold. Always, it's cold. It's totally cold. So what happens is we'll go in, we will be all manic and making our dish and crying behind fridges and burning things and someone slices the hand and that all happens. And then time literally ends. So if you are told in the challenge you have an hour, on set you get one hour exactly. There is no extra time, no less time. It is what it is. It's You have to step away from the bench. And then what happens is there's a little red mat that sits on the end of the bench and anything that goes on that mat will be kept. Everything else will be cleaned up, put in the bin, whatever happens. So your final dish has to be on that mat. Um, we then go and break for lunch. Art department come in, they clean up everything. And then the photographers take those dishes that's on the red mat and photograph them. So when you eventually come back from lunch, you notice, you watch this now, the whole bench is clear magically through the wonders of TV and everyone's sitting there with their dish. Between the dish going on that red mat and you coming back is probably two hours. So once you go up and you present the dish to the judges, you, when you watch it on TV, it will show you what was photographed. So it goes, here's the dish, what we photographed while everyone was eating lunch. <laughs> um, and then they're eating it absolutely stone cold. So the first day we did it, they never tell you what's happening. They're like, okay, guys, here's a red mat. You'll be putting your dish on here from here on in. You quickly cotton on that, ah, they're going to be eating a cold dish. And if you know your dish will taste rubbish cold, which most do, you cotton onto it and what you end up doing is the judges taste during the challenge. So I would always make sure that every element I had uh, in the dish, I'd have hot and at their best, most premium tasting quality um, moment uh, ready for them to taste before we all broke for lunch. So they knew there and then what that dish was supposed to taste like. So if they liked it when it was hot and delicious, they'd call you up and pretend they enjoyed the cold version of it too. I have to say it's just increase my um, admiration for their acting skills to be able to oh my god <laughs> eating stone Half cold the food. stuff and if it's like if it's a crappy dish someone's made to begin with let alone cold oh and they actually like I watch them now and I'm like you didn't have to take a third bite you didn't have to take a second bite you could have just had one and they're like no no we'll make this super believable <laughs> Your now husband yes. um, seems to share your love of food and travel. I think he's the one that takes all those beautiful pictures of you. He does. How did you two meet? We met in advertising. Yes. So I had only moved to Melbourne. I was here for about two or so years, maybe a little bit longer. And I was with my creative partner and we were in this advertising agency, kicking all these goals. I had a boyfriend at the time and she was single. And then this tall, handsome guy walked in on the Monday morning and they did the whole, all right, everyone, this is Damien. He'll be joining the team. And my first reaction was, hey, he's super cute for my friend. And so I had spent the next few weeks trying to pair them up. But if you meet them, they could not be more like polar opposite, like it would never happen in a million years. I tell the story badly, but if Damien were here, he'd tell it. <laughs> How would he tell it? His version of the events is that I stalked him repeatedly 
after, when I realised it wouldn't work out between those two, we actually realised how much we had in common. Got along like a house on fire. And, yeah, when he tells the story, he says that I stalked him. Come the Christmas party, I was like, you and I, we're making out at midnight. And he's like, oh, my God, this woman is a creep. Why? Like, who does that? And so sure enough, come, I think it was 1 o'clock by this stage, he found me and he gave me a big pash and then I completely shut down. And he's like, so you got to sort your shit out. And I was like, okay. And so then I broke up with my partner, which, to be honest, was on the rocks at the time anyway wasn't really working out and we've been together ever since and I've never been happier. He's the man of my dreams and all that gushy, like mushy stuff. He's just amazing. I love him. That's beautiful. And he has, so he was pre-MasterChef, pre-everything. He sees you go Pre-everything. We were together for about a year when I said to him, I'm thinking about going on this show. And so he lived in our apartment, took care of like paying the bills on time and everything. And I was like, I don't know when I'll see you. And that's how it was. When you say goodbye to your partners, you're like, I might see you in a week if I get eliminated first. I might see you in six months if I get eliminated last. And for us, it was five and a half months. I didn't see him. Tell me about the fifth product on your list. The fifth product on my list, I'm going to say, is my mascara, which I've probably been using for about two years or so. It is the Maybelline New York Lash Stiletto Volume, Voluminous? Something like that. I don't know. It's a made up <laughs> word. They've probably, yeah, trademark. There you go. I love this mascara because for me, mascara is all about the brush. It's not anything to do with the black stuff, whatever that is made of. Can you tell I really know a lot about um, beauty products? I personally don't see the value in spending a lot of money on beauty. I think there are so many great products that are under $20 that give you the same result. Um, So I always try and find those sorts of products. That particular product, don't hate me, but I think it's actually been discontinued. I found it at like a bargain place and they were doing it for $5 each. So I was like, I'll buy 30 of them. So you stocked up. I literally have like an IGA worth of <laughs> mascara in my um, bathroom. But one thing I will say about this, the brush is really good. It separates all my eyelashes. It does what it needs to do and it's great. I learned early on not to use waterproof mascara. Uh, for me, every time I used it, it would just tear my eyelashes. They would fall out. So I don't go anywhere near anything waterproof. Since going on MasterChef, you have obviously built up a bit of a public profile. You said that people still recognize you in the supermarket and things like that. (laughs) Um, So is it strange? I know like things like seeing when you got engaged covered by like publications, was that kind of something to get Yes, that's so weird. Like, and I think anyone you speak to, if they don't think it's weird, then they're weird. Like, I'm just a normal person. I like we not went on a show and I was on everyone's TVs for four months or however long it ran, but I don't see myself as anything different. So when people come up to me, it's beautiful and I love meeting new people and it's it's honestly such a joy when you meet people and you get to have a conversation. They love food and, you know, you wouldn't meet people like this any other way. But it is still bizarre to have, yeah, publications um, sharing that, especially... I mean, technically, you go, it's a private part of my life, but you put it on Instagram, so it's up for the taking, really, isn't it? (laughs) And talk to me about, obviously, your wedding is this big expression of love. It's your chance to do things, to keep traditions or break traditions, do things your own way. As such a big foodie, Mm -hmm. what was on the menu at your wedding? Oh, the menu was tricky. How would I describe it? My wedding was, and I think a lot of brides can empathise with it, um, I found it really difficult from a lot of aspects. I didn't really enjoy the planning of it at all. Getting to the day, oh my God, I had the 
best fun. It was so great. Everything was perfect. I loved it. But the planning of it, I found really stressful, really painful to say the least in so many aspects. And the food for me was one of those, I felt a lot of pressure. It was like when you plan a wedding, I'm not making the food. You go to a venue and whoever the caterer is assigned to the venue or the chef or whatever it is, they make the food. You can change as much as you can but you know when you do that obviously it adds costs it has time lots of complications so it was really hard for me not to feel like people were going to judge me on my wedding day about what the food was and to a degree you just have to let that go in the end I customized the menu as much as I felt I wanted to and they pulled it off flawlessly it was great um would it be the menu that I'd make on my wedding day if I had every opportunity to change it completely no but it is what it is and I think they did a wonderful job finishing the show you have this opportunity I know you said there are so many food opportunities that came your way talk to me about coming out of the show you've obviously left advertising to go on this show what 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 happened next nothing absolutely nothing I remember leaving and it was probably the hardest year of my life. I left the show thinking, as everyone does, I think, they say they don't, but a part of you does, you go, my life's going to be different after this. I'm going to have new opportunities and that's why you go on it because you want a change of what you had before. And literally it was crickets for close to a year and I thought to myself, oh my God, what have I done? I can't even remember how much I earned that year. I was hand to mouth more than. And I just remember thinking, I have completely humiliated myself. I have ballsed up my previous career. I've like, I'm on Sarah Island with no options. And it's on, to compile on top of that as well, you know that the whole nation has watched you and you're getting messages and emails from people you've never met going, I want to go to your cafe. What are you doing? Like, And you just feel and you see other people doing really well. And it is tough. Like if you've ever know what it's like to compare yourself to other people, which hand on heart, you should absolutely not do. But it's really hard not to. It was hard. Nothing happened for a year. And then you think, well, God, this is the highlight. Like this is the highest moment of the show. If nothing's happening now, nothing ever will. And then it completely changed. Year two, people started approaching me. I did one job, led to another job, got a bit of momentum. Year three was even bigger and it just kept growing and growing. And yeah, just everything that's come my way has been completely unexpected, wonderful. I can't speak more highly of it, but that first year out was hard, really, really hard. Because I know you spent some time working as a chef in a cafe. Yes. In the Kettle Black. Yep. And... Did that teach you that you didn't want to, that's... Yeah, it did. It did. I left advertising because you make these ads and you put your heart and soul into them and some of them take six plus months to get on air and you have no idea if anyone hated it. Did they laugh? Did they cry? You don't see any of that. And so when I went, and to be honest, I did the chef thing because you think that's what you're supposed to do. You're like, okay, well, now I need actual experience. And it was very valuable and I learned a lot. But I felt like I was doing, I had the same problem in a different industry. I'd make a dish and then you're stuck in the kitchen doing the same menu again and again. Um, And you never really see if anyone likes it or not. You only know if they don't like it because it comes back. Um, Which thankfully touch wood (laughs) never happened. And so I just, 
to be honest, I had the same feeling I did in advertising, which was, why am I here? This doesn't feel right. This can't be it. And I just, yeah, I was like, you've just got to trust your gut. I didn't have any opportunities or any jobs lined up, but I was like, this isn't it. So you need to leave and tell the universe that they've got to open another door for you because this isn't it. Obviously, finding that thing is a lifelong process, but do you feel like at the moment you found that that thing that you felt like was missing in both those situations? Yes, I think where I'm at at the moment, and it's taken me a really long time to get here. A lot of it's you worry what other people think if they think you're a failure because you didn't do what you said you were going to do a year ago or if things change. And a big part of me felt like a failure for even freelancing and doing advertising again to pay the bills um, because it was kind of like, well, you went on this big journey and everyone knows you on TV. Why are you doing advertising? Like that says you failed, you didn't make it. Um, And it took me a really long time to realise actually that's not the case. It took me stepping away to see what I loved so much about it. And actually, they completely stimulate different parts of my brain. And whilst one is very problem solving and uh, strategic, working with food is, you know, very creative. They're both creative in different senses. And I really get a buzz out of being able to do both. So yeah, I'm really happy where I am at the moment, being able to do both. And I think I would just say to anyone, don't honestly, just don't worry about what people say. And I don't subscribe to the idea that you have to have one role and what's your title. To this day, when people go, what do you do? I still am lost for words for what that is. Um, And you have to be comfortable with it because a lot of people, there's a lot of things you do. Sometimes you do that job on the weekend or you do it once a month. The other time you do this, some jobs you do to make, you know, ends meet and some you do for passion. Who cares? Just do what makes you happy. I think that's such brilliant advice because I've spoken to a fair few people on this podcast who, you know, we're so career driven working towards this fine out goal. Like you said, this title that will bring all the happiness allegedly. It's not And then (laughs) you get there and it's not there. And then what happens after that's no longer your title? It just sends... I've spoken to 50-year-old men who, you know, get to that point or they retire. I've spoken to women, high C, you know, big CEO women and um, young people. It honestly does not discriminate. Be flexible, I think, with what it is. And for me, it's just happiness. If this makes you happy today, do that. If it doesn't make you happy tomorrow, don't do it. Do something else. Tell me about the sick products on your list. Actually, that's a good one because I never really thought about perfume really until a few years ago. I used to really not care about it. It didn't really matter to me. I definitely didn't like floral stuff, but I ended up finding over the years that I'll either go towards natural oils because I find that they also have a positive emotional effect. I found that I've been buying like Isimiyaki because my mum used to wear it and it's very nostalgic and timeless for me. And then recently, getting married two years ago, um, a friend said to me, oh, you need to find like a wedding perfume. And in my head, I was like, oh my God, what the hell are you talking about? What do you mean a wedding perfume? And she's like, no, no, no. You need a perfume that you've never worn before, that he's never smelt before. So every time you wear it, it will remind you of your wedding. And I was like, that is the naffest thing I've ever heard in my life. And she's like, I'm going to buy it. I don't care what you say. I'm buying it for you. Actually, I think it was my cousin. I was like, okay, fine, just buy me the perfume. And the perfume was Gucci Bloom. And honestly, since then, every time I put it on, I think of my wedding. And I was like, yeah, actually, that kind of worked. So (laughs) there you go. Thanks to your cousin. I know. If she hears this, she'll be like, you never gave me the satisfaction. (laughs) I know that 
travel is another huge passion of yours and food is obviously so intertwined with that because it's revisiting dishes that you love and also the discovery of new ones. Where is your favourite place in the world to visit? Italy, hands down. Couldn't have said it faster. And yep. the dish that you love going for? The dishes I've, I love change. It'll probably be a pasta dish. We went to Rome, when was it? Not last year, the year before, and the cacio e pepe that we had there just blew my mind. But in the last year and a half, uh, what we eat has significantly changed. So what I can, well, not that I can, what I choose to eat and not eat um, has changed. So we don't, uh, my husband has gone vegan in the last year and a half and gosh, six days of the week I'm vegan as well because I ain't making two meals a week. And then every now and then I'll have a bit of cheese or some fish. So we haven't eaten meat in, yeah, a year and a half red meat. So when we went to uh, Italy and stuff, it was, gosh, having to see that through a completely different lens, not having salumi, not having um, uh, bolognese, things like that was very different. But, I mean, Italian food's so great. So much of it's vegetarian anyway, so I found that quite easy. And how have you found that transition cooking? Has it been like a cha- an exciting challenge to find new It dishes? actually has been really exciting. It's reinvigorated my love for food in a whole new way. And to be honest, more than ever, more than before the show, during the show, after the show, this moment, having the challenge, it's, to be honest, it's probably a little bit like the advertising problem solving plus the cooking component because I'm like, okay, how am I going to make dishes as tasty as possible to the palate that we enjoyed before or recreate a dish that we're familiar with that used to have meat but now make it veg- um, completely vegan? And I've really enjoyed the challenge and it's just bloody tasty. And also a big satisfaction when you know how much vitamins and minerals plants have and you just feel good because you're like, hell yeah, I ate like 40 different plants this week. Go me. <laughs> so it's been really good. But um, to begin with, it was really tricky. And I totally understand when people begin the process. So many people give up because you come home at seven o'clock at night and there's a carrot and you're like, what do I do with a carrot? It's not very inspiring. So everyone goes through it, um, but it does get easier. I know that this has probably been an interest prior to that, but particularly, as you said, making the changes because obviously going vegetarian or vegan is paying much closer attention to where the food has come from and how it's produced and things like that. And I know that you've had the opportunity to go all over the world to these places. Excuse me, you did a great series uh, on Chablis where you went to obviously... Gosh, that was a hard part of the world to visit. (laughs) Thankfully, wine is mostly vegan and vegetarian, so that that made it a lot easier. Um, That was a phenomenal experience and I was so blessed to be asked to go and experience that part of the world and that wine and the beautiful people that live in that um, town and make that extraordinary wine. Yeah, it was honestly, to this day, I'm like, did that happen? I've always been interested where things come from. I've been, I would say, I call myself an environmentalist since I was a little girl. I'm always conscious of if things were living, where did they come from um, and stuff like that. And I'm a big believer, call me a hippie or not, about energy. I think energy is transferable. So yeah, it is important to me when I did eat meat, what kind of life that animal had. Do you have a favourite go-to restaurant in Melbourne? Do you know what? I'm actually hopeless at restaurants because I cook every single night, breakfast, lunch and dinner. And being a foodie, And when my family come, they're like, oh, can you give us some recommendations of where to go in Melbourne? I'm like, crickets in my brain. (laughs) We 
live in Pran. I do like to go a lot to Misty Miyagi. That's fun. Good vibes. Always great food. And they're very accommodating for vegetarian and stuff like that. But not a go-to restaurant, no. Honestly, I'm such a homebody these days. I'm quite boring. (laughs) No. So if that's the case then, do you like entertaining at home with food? Sometimes. we Our lives are very hectic at the moment. So when the weekends roll around, it's very quiet. We like to just spend time being quiet essentially. Um, But we... We don't. We have people over every now and then, but often we'll go to other people's houses and we'll bring food and we'll do things at their house. They've probably got better party houses. <laughs> We're coming to the final two products on your list. Yes. So for I'm the ready. seventh product, um, tell me, is there a product that you feel gives you a confidence boost or your signature look? I really feel confident when I'm wearing red lipstick, which is ironic given how I felt about lipstick to begin with. I would not say that this is a beauty product per se, But whenever I go to the beach, the salt water in my hair, when I grew up hating my curly hair, and if anyone has curly hair, you've got a bit curly hair. I don't know about you, but did you hate it when you grew up? Because nobody had curly hair. You were like the one person that had curly hair. And it's not always curly. Sometimes it's frizzy (laughs) and it never behaves and it just doesn't do what it's meant to do. And so I grew up being like, damn it, I want to straighten my hair. And honestly, if you look back on photos, uh, look back at photos of me when I was younger, I had like bleached blonde hair straightened and it looked terrible so now as you grow older you embrace it the things that you hated you come around to and my hair is definitely one of those things I wouldn't say it's a beauty product but going to the beach immersing myself in the cold water opening my eyes under the salt water and the salt and what it does to my hair and it feels like home it feels a little bit like I'm back in Perth and it's got that curliness and that carefreeness to me to it that for me makes me feel good and when you can't get to the beach as as you said I have curly hair as well so I'm slightly selfish and asking about your hair yeah routine. totally okay so this but is what me, I do tell me about your <laughs> um I used to use I think it was Tony and Guy the sea salt spray and I actually think I used that when I was on the show I don't know why but I think after the show through stresses and stuff, all my hormones changed, everything. And hair's the same. So sometimes it just won't be curly. Um, and I'm going through that at the moment. It just doesn't want to curl. Um, and so I think I left that product. And what I actually found was the simplest thing that worked for my hair was when I come out of the shower, I towel dry it. But I do like towel drying scrunching. And then I spray it with hairspray and I let it dry naturally. And as it's drying, I'll try and put my hands in my roots just to make sure it volumizes up around there. But... I can't put a hairdryer to it because then it just makes it a big, I look like a Bichon frizz. Um, But yeah. And what hairspray is that? Because it must be a lightweight one that's not like... Yeah, a lightweight one, but I don't discriminate against hairsprays. It just has to be a stronghold. Tell me about your ideal Sunday. You've said obviously this is a very busy period. So Sunday is hopefully a day that you're taking the time to do things that you enjoy. What, What does an ideal Sunday look like for you? So a Sunday for me is, this is actually probably the most beauty I get. I really enjoy watching on YouTube people get facials. Oh. I don't know if you've ever done that. I like all the ASMR stuff. I find it so relaxing to watch other people get beauty treatments done. I don't pay attention to what products they are. I don't do any of that, but just watching them and just the sounds of like the foam on their face or like their hair being scratched and stuff. Honestly, if you ask my husband, he's like, oh, yeah, Sarah's in the room watching three hours of people getting massages or facials. Do you enjoy getting them done yourself? Love them. Love them. But again, I find them 
It's just finding the time to do it. It's and by the time, and it's, it's expensive and time consuming. And by the time you're like, yeah, I am going to have a facial this weekend, you call up and they're like, we're not free till three <laughs> weeks from now. And so then, hey, pup, that's honestly happened the last seven weeks. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I'll get to it. I'll get to it. Is all Sunday just spent watching the ASMR? No, no, no. I should probably. I do other things. Um, Sundays usually like our house tidy up day. And yeah, we just try and get out and do something. We've made a conscious effort this year especially to go out and be in touch with nature. We looked back on last year and it was just hectic. And I'm one of those people that I find it very hard to relax. And I feel guilty if I'm sitting on the couch doing nothing because I'm like you could have been doing something what did you achieve and I did that weekend after weekend after weekend last year and it was exhausting you don't spend time with each other and all of that so this year we're very much like no it's okay to do nothing let's go out let's put our feet in the sand let's go into the forest let's do stuff like that the final product on your list I love and have used for many, many years black chicken remedies. They are friends of mine in Sydney, all natural products, all essential oil based. So they don't have any fillers or binders or things like that. Those products I really love because they have a remedial effect as well. I know that they're all natural and they just make me feel good. And they work, to be perfectly frank. I had really dry and just weird skin. I couldn't put anything I put on it just burnt or um, just irritated me and when I started doing research and understanding that actually ingredients in these products because they're natural they work on the same like vibration and what your skin needs versus against it I honestly found I think it was their nocturnalist product it's a night serum in the morning my face was just plump and glowing and I'd never had that with anything and to know that that came from a natural product I was like yes Who is someone who has really shaped you, feel has really shaped you either personally or professionally? Mum comes to mind immediately. I think it's hard not to say your mum sometimes. She's been a pillar of strength through so many things. I've seen her go through her own struggles in life. She's been there for mine. She's literally the strongest woman I know. I think when people say it's about how you react when you're pushed down, that's my mum. She gets up every single time it's not always been easy but she's been that so I always think to myself if my mum got through it whatever I'm going through hell I can do it too I always I think about this a lot as someone who loves food and I wonder if you've probably been asked it a bit too but this idea of like the last supper if you oh, could yeah, have totally. <laughs> your final meal or just your dream meal if we want to put a more positive spin on yes it. so starter main dessert and side what are you cooking up or eating okay starter oysters love an oyster main it would have to be some sort of pasta dish definitely I don't know it probably the simpler the better it would either actually do you know what it would be it would be like um, pasta el nero so that's a Sicilian dish where my family are from and it's made with squid ink so it's black and it makes your teeth black and your mouth black and everything black but it's when it's done right gosh it's the best thing in the world there would have to be a really big salad to go with that can't have a meal without a salad to be honest I would if I could I'd skip dessert for an extra glass of wine if that I could can I do that you are allowed. I don't have a sweet tooth and if I do it's like I want a tiramisu what wine are you drinking then white all the way oh Chablis of course <laughs> oh my god it is my it is genuinely my favorite <laughs> it's wine. so good and I was a big Chardonnay drinker before and nobody else they're like oh Chardonnay and I don't know if it's because I came from WA but yeah, when I drank that, I was like, well, I'm converted now. This is my wine for the rest of my life. 
And it's actually not often that restaurants will have it on the menu always. No, not at all. There's the wine bar across the road had it by the glass for a bit. And I was oh, like, this really? Is, this is amazing. It's so fun. No, if you haven't tried it, try it. You've talked us through some of the products that you love that have special memories and meaning for you. But now, as I send you off to Beauty Island, I'm only going to let you take one with you which one will you take you take with you so it doesn't necessarily have to be Mm. practical and I'm on my own in this island on this island so the lipstick's pointless I'm gonna say the nocturnalist night serum I feel like that would be the most beneficial you need hydration I'm out in the sun salt water that would probably be the most nourishing given there's nobody else there so who cares what my lips my (laughs) eyelashes any of that stuff looks like and you've got the seawater for your hair oh my god I'm sorted I just need a coconut and make some coconut oil and I'll (laughs) rub that in my body and it'll be like glamour survivor you're set up Sarah thank you so much no thank you for having me it was super fun so much fun Thank you for listening to this episode of Beauty Island with the lovely Sarah O'Terry. You can find where to follow her for all your foodie inspiration, uh, plus all the products she spoke about today in the show notes. If you fancy chatting more beauty, you can find me on the podcast Instagram at Beauty Island Podcast or my personal beauty account at Brittany Beauty BTS, where I regularly share products I'm loving and talk about all aspects of beauty culture, particularly in regards to isolation and or you can sign up to my beauty newsletter it's beauty for thoughts and recommendations straight to your inbox thank you and until next time bye bye